Sometimes our prayers aren't big enough. Uh, we serve a big God, and yet sometimes we don't pray big prayers. I mean, look through the pages of Scripture, and the prayers that people prayed are, are mind-blowing. You'll see some pretty massive prayer requests made to God. Hezekiah was told that he would not recover from his current illness and that he was going to die soon, and he immediately prayed and asked God to spare his life, and God added 15 years to his life. In fact, he told him. I'm giving you 15 more years. So it's, I don't know, that's kind of a good and bad thing, I guess. You know, you've got, you know, 15 more years, but then you know, God's only given me 15 more years. But uh, powerful answer to prayer there. Uh, the early church prayed for Peter in prison and God miraculously delivered Peter and set him free. Uh, Jesus prayed and people who had died came back to life. It doesn't get more powerful than that unless maybe you look at this next example and that is Joshua prayed and asked God to stop the sun in the sky so they would have time to win the battle they were fighting. What a crazy, ridiculous prayer and God did it. God answered that prayer and lengthened the day so they could have more time to win the battle. Crazy, crazy prayers with absolutely miraculous answers. So where did big asks like this go in our prayers? We pray about favor at our jobs. We pray for migraine headaches. We pray for financial blessing. And all of those requests are legitimate. We pray those prayers with honesty and with openness. But I think we need to also ask the Holy Spirit to teach us to pray big prayers because so much of what we pray is just details. And it's not that the details don't matter. They do. They absolutely matter. But sometimes our prayers aren't all they could be because our vision is so small. And if we truly want to honor God, we will believe what he says and then act on that belief by praying big prayers that require an all-powerful God to answer them. So today we come to the second request of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 10, may your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom come soon. This is the prayer that Jesus is using to teach his disciples and model for his disciples the type of prayer that we should be praying. And last week, uh, we talked about the first request of the Lord's Prayer, which is may your name be kept holy. And this week, now he comes with the second request, and that is, may your kingdom come soon. And, and this request is kind of like God saying, go ahead, ask me for something hard. Ask me to send my kingdom to the earth. Go ahead, see what I'll do. That's big. It's a lot bigger than asking God to give you a good time on your vacation to Florida or asking God for the right Christmas present for your cousin Jake. And as we will see later in our journey through the Lord's Prayer, we'll come to this we should bring even our tiniest concerns in life to God. There is zero wrong with that. But if all we do is pray about small things, we have missed the world-changing power of what Jesus tells us prayer should be. If all we ever do is pray the small things, we have missed the world-changing, the mountain-moving power that Jesus tells us prayer should be for us. Your kingdom come. That is serious business in prayer. On one level, when you pray your kingdom come, you are asking God to send Jesus back and close the door on human history as we have known it. 
That's, that's massive. We're saying, Jesus, come back, take your church home, and let's move on. On another level, you're inviting God to invade your world right now and transform it. There's that duality in this request. For Jesus to return, for him to establish his kingdom permanently, but also for God to use us to transform our world and make it more like God's kingdom now. Both of those are wrapped up in that request. Now, a couple of quick observations about this request. Uh, this is the shortest request in the Lord's Prayer. In Greek, it's only four words long. And, and what I want you to see from that is lengthiness doesn't indicate importance. The length of your prayer or your request doesn't affect the power of your prayer. Four words in Greek, and yet, can you think of a more critical prayer for us to pray than God, may your kingdom come soon. Now, the second thing I want you to notice about this is that this is an imperative, an imperative. And for the non-grammar nerds uh, that are listening, in other words, most of you, uh, that means it is given in the form of a command, all right? An imperative in, in a verb tense is a command. Uh, so more than that, the verb is placed first in the Greek for emphasis. So the literal translation of this phrase would be, Come, kingdom of God. Come, kingdom of God. And the same is true uh, next in the following crest, request that we'll talk about next week, be done will of God. So they're both in the same format to emphasize just this command that we are, we are making in this. Kingdom of God, you will come. Will of God, it will be done. And so when we pray, come kingdom of God, there is, there is a sense of urgency about those words. It's like we're praying, Lord, let your kingdom be here. Right here, right now, today, let your kingdom be present. We're saying that we're not satisfied with the status quo. We are not satisfied with the way things are. And if you look around you and you see our world and you are satisfied with the way things are, there's something wrong with you. Because there is nothing to be satisfied about with the way the world is trending, with the way things are going, with the things we are facing, with where culture's going. We, we are not, should never be satisfied with the way things are. We pray a prayer like this because we know things could be and should be better than they are. But what is this kingdom of God all about? What does it even mean, the kingdom of God? It is clearly an important topic in Scripture. Or Jesus wouldn't have mentioned it, and not just mentioned it, but when you take a quick glance at the Gospels, especially the Synoptic Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they reveal that the phrases kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, those phrases are used interchangeably in scripture, they are repeated over and over and over again. Not just a few times, but dozens and dozens of times we see Jesus referencing the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And it is clear that Jesus talked to his disciples about the kingdom of God almost every day. We see it in almost every encounter that he has. And Jesus said that when we pray, we are to ask God that the kingdom would come. Which leads to a few important questions for us. Why is the kingdom of God so important? Why would Jesus speak about it over and over and over again? And most importantly, why is the kingdom of God so important 
that we should make it the subject of our daily prayers. If this is the model and the framework that Jesus has put together for us to pray, this is one of the first things that Jesus says we should petition God about, and that is that his kingdom would come and be established. And I don't think there's just one way to answer those questions with regard to the importance. So let me build a case for four different reasons for us that this prayer is so critical. It is so important that Jesus dedicated a lot of his time with the disciples to emphasize it. And that's one of the reasons for us is that the kingdom of God is important because it was the central issue of Jesus' entire ministry. This was his central issue. This is what he kept coming back to. The kingdom of God is what he came to establish. He came to establish this kingdom and he said it in various ways over and over again. I want you to listen to the following verses. I'm just going to read a series of verses and I want you to see if you can pick up the theme here. Matthew 4, 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 4, 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. That word good news is also translated gospel. So it's the same word. Good news and gospel mean the same thing. So it's the gospel uh, about the kingdom, the good news about the kingdom. The kingdom is central to the gospel. Luke 4.43, but he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. This is Jesus' purpose. His mission is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke 17, 21, for the kingdom of God is already among you. And then finally, John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So when Jesus began his ministry, he announced that the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is among you, <clears throat> He said that preaching the kingdom of God was the reason he'd been sent. Jesus came to establish a new way of living on the earth. He was to show us the way. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, another way you could summarize that whole phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is I am representative of what the kingdom of God looks like. It would be made up of men and women who are fully dedicated to doing the will of God. That's what God's kingdom is, is made of. The kingdom he would establish would be fundamentally different from the kingdoms of this world because unlike the kingdoms of this world, which are geographic in nature, okay, God's kingdom calls for a moral commitment to be part of it. And that's a crucial point that forever separates the kingdom of God from every other earthly kingdom or earthly power. Because being in an earthly kingdom, like I mentioned, is just a matter of ge geography. But Jesus' kingdom is different. The kingdom of God is reserved for those who recognize and follow the truth that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And everything that goes along with that. That's the moral commitment that Jesus demands of his followers. You want to be in my kingdom? Fine. 
but you have to become a follower of the truth. You can't remain neutral about me or about the things that I'm saying. You have to get off the fence and make a commitment or you will never be in the kingdom of God. We have to make a decision. The line was drawn by Jesus 2,000 years ago. And so you have to choose which side you're going to be on. Will you be a part of God's kingdom or will you be a part of the only other option and that is the kingdom of the enemy? There is no middle ground in there because Jesus made that clear when he says, if you are not for me, you are against me. You are either for me or you are against me. So we have to choose whether we will, will be a part of God's kingdom or a part of the kingdom of the devil. And that explains why the people of the world will never understand the people of the kingdom. Because we have made a moral commitment to the truth. And that commitment guides everything that we do. We start from a different place. We look at life a different way. We make our decisions on a different basis and we end up at a different place. And that applies in every area of our lives, whether we're talking about how to raise our children or how to spend our money or how to vote in an election or how we should function at our jobs or how we should treat our spouse. Everything that we do in life flows out of this commitment to the guiding principles of the truth of God's kingdom that was found in Jesus. Our commitment to truth will forever separate us from the people of the world, which is why they don't understand us and they think we're a little bit crazy. Now, we're not crazy, at least not for that reason. Plenty of y'all are crazy, but we are different. The kingdom of God is reserved for people who are willing to become fundamentally different from the people of the world. Okay, that's last week we said, may your name be kept holy. Well, his name is kept holy by us functioning as holy people. And what is holy? Holy is separated, set apart, different. And that's what we're talking about here. So let's take that one step farther. The kingdom comes first in the hearts of men and women as they surrender themselves to Jesus Christ. When we make that decision to surrender our lives to him, the kingdom comes in us and through us. That's where it all begins. And since that is true, we also know that God's kingdom doesn't spread through politics, but through relationships as people choose to follow Jesus Christ. Earthly kingdoms cannot spread God's kingdom. As good and right and as important as political action is, Okay, it can never bring in the kingdom of God. Uh, we should register to vote. We should write letters to our congressmen. We ought to speak out on moral issues. We should run for office if that's where God leads. But as good as those things are and right for us to do them, they will never bring in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has to come in human hearts. Conversion comes before character and heart change comes before social change. Conversion comes before character and heart change comes before social change. And there's kind of a tension in, in the church in America today between evangelism and social action. There's this tension that exists. You'll find Christians who prioritize one or the other. And the answer has to be that while both are important, evangelism will always take priority. 
because it is only through the spreading of the gospel that human hearts are changed. That's why when we do a food distribution, you know, and we, we, we do them regularly where we hand out bags of groceries to people and we're, we're excited to feed them and to, to help them and meet their needs. That's, that's great and it's biblical. But at the same time, we ask every person, if there's something that we can pray with them about, we ask every person and we, and we put a, a note in their bag that they can reach out to us and discover, you know, a trilogy if they're looking for a church and we connect with them in a personal way and, and have a relationship there that we can pray with them and help them move further in their relationship with Christ or draw closer to Christ. Because evangelism has to be the priority. We have to do the other. That's important as well. But evangelism is the umbrella under which that should fall. There's, there, it's, it's important that we understand that it's only through the spreading of the gospel that human hearts are changed. The kingdom of God was central to Jesus. It's the reason he came to earth and what was important to him has to become important to us. And that's one reason Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come soon. Now, the second reason why Jesus taught us to pray this way is the kingdom of God is the only thing that will last forever. That's it. The kingdom of God is the only thing that will last forever. So let me kind of illustrate this. When was the last time you thought about Zachary Taylor? Some of you are going, who in the world is Zachary Taylor? You know, it's probably been a long time since you've thought about Zachary Taylor. Maybe the last time you thought about him was back in Mrs. Alexander's eighth grade American history class. And probably you didn't think too much about him even then. But Zachary Taylor was the 12th president of the United States. He served from 1849 until his death in 1850. Now you will note that's a very short term in office. And uh, in 1991, Scientists dug up his remains uh, to see, uh, they wanted to prove if a rumor was true or not, if he had been poisoned with arsenic by his enemies. Political enemies had poisoned him and that's why he died one year into office. And it turns out the answer was no. He apparently died after eating some chilled cherries and cold buttermilk. Apparently a very deadly combination. Um, but do you know what they found when they opened the casket? It had been 140 years since he died and there wasn't a whole lot left. They found his hair, his bones, and his fingernails. Everything else had disintegrated. And when he died, Zachary Taylor was considered a very great leader. Zachary, he was the 12th president of the United States. One writer uh, referred to him as the Norman Schwarzkopf of his day, a military leader. He was a great military leader who later became president. He was the hero of the Battle of Buena Vista during the Mexican War. His nickname was Old Rough and Ready, uh, not much different from calling George Patton uh, Old Blood and Guts. And until they dug him up, we had forgotten Zachary Taylor altogether. I bet you of everyone in America, maybe 1% of Americans would be able to identify Zachary Taylor if you asked who he was. They probably wouldn't even know he was a president. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 9.5, The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. And it's true. Zachary Taylor had been forgotten. And he was once the president of the United States. After 150 years, old, rough, and ready is nothing more 
than the answer to a trivia question. What president died after eating chilled cherries and cold buttermilk? Uh, it's an important lesson for every one of us. If you are counting on somebody remembering you after you're gone, forget it. Sooner or later, you'll be just another name on a tombstone. Let me tell you what will happen after you die. Your family will call up the funeral home and arrange a real nice service for you. Someone will stand up and say some nice things about you, and then they will bury you in the ground. You know what happens then? Your friends will go over to your house and have a party and eat your food. Uh, then they will get in their cars, they'll go back home, and they will get on with their lives. Somebody may say that's depressing. No, it's not depressing. That's reality. And the reality is, if you're a follower of Jesus, you won't care because you'll be in the presence of God. Um, but if I happen to die before you do, you will do the same thing for me. And before long, I'll just be a dim memory and then I'll be forgotten altogether. And I'm not trying to be fatalistic here. I'm making this point. If you are looking for significance and looking for permanence in this world, you are wasting your time. If you are looking to make a name for yourself and develop significance and permanence in this world, you are wasting your time. This world forgets the past, lives in the present, and dreams about the future. That's what this world does. And all those things we do to give ourselves significance, the degrees after our names, the houses we buy, the money we save, the cars we drive, the empires we build, the relationships we seek, the clothes we wear, the networks we create, in the end, all of those things will amount to nothing. If you are living for this world, you are going to be severely disappointed. Why? Because nothing in this world asks forever. You could ask Zachary Taylor. That's why Hebrews 12, 28 says that God is going to give us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. It is unshakable. Everything that is part of this world is shakable. The buildings crumble into dust, the companies go into bankruptcy, our degrees are forgotten, our houses age and creak and fall apart, our cars rust out, and worst of all, our bodies eventually wear out. But the kingdom of God lasts forever. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he predicted that she would give birth to a son and he would rule over the house of his father Jacob and of his kingdom there would be no end. God will establish a kingdom on earth that will last forever. And that kingdom will be made up of people who have decided to live by God's eternal values and not what this world chases. The whole human race can be divided into two groups, those who live by earthly values and those who live by kingdom values. If you decide to live by earthly values, you will receive an earthly reward. If you decide to live by kingdom values, you will receive a kingdom reward. And the difference is this. Living by earthly values produces earthly rewards that pay off quicker and disappear faster. Living by kingdom values produces kingdom rewards. They don't usually come as quickly, but they last for eternity. They will last forever. You can live for this world or you can live for the kingdom of God. The choice is yours to make. Jesus told, told us that we need to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. We need to put our treasure there. In other words, we need to invest in kingdom values and live with kingdom values so that our reward will be waiting for us in heaven. That's the second reason the kingdom of God is so important. It's the only thing that will last forever. Now, the final reason I want to give you today is this. 
The kingdom of God is the only possible explanation why God's people live the way they do. The kingdom of God is the only possible explanation why God's people live the way they do. This is the reason it probably strikes closest to home for us because without the kingdom of God, it is simply impossible to explain the way that some people, hopefully you're one of them, choose to live. There are men and women all around the world who, although they seem perfectly normal as the world counts normalness, in many ways behave very, very differently. When you examine their lives, the one great factor that makes a difference is that they have been gripped with this concept of the kingdom of God and living according to kingdom principles. They've decided to, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. And that has made all the difference in the world. Jesus predicted that some people would choose to live this way. And these are his words in Luke 18. Listen to this. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Jesus is teaching us here that the kingdom of God changes the values of life. It changes what we prioritize. It leads to unusual and otherwise unexplainable behavior. When you sign up for Christ's kingdom, you parachute directly into a war zone. You drop right into the middle of it and you're leaving a life that makes sense from a worldly point of view for a life governed by now eternal realities. And people will do things because of the kingdom of God that they would not do otherwise. In some cases, they will choose to set aside a life of ease and, and relative comfort and go, you know, leave their jobs and go to a foreign country and become a missionary. Uh, in other cases, they will let go of their closest human relationships to follow where God is leading them. In still other cases, they will, they will give up a promising career uh, or advancement because they believe God wants them to stay where they are because of the impact they could have for his kingdom. Others will spend their money in ways that make no earthly sense whatsoever. You know, as people sacrificially give to the church, uh, let me, let's, let's be real. The tax break you get from giving to the church doesn't make it worth it. We do it because it is kingdom values that have replaced worldly values in our lives and in our hearts. And when God says, I want you to be a generous people, I want you to give, I want you to help grow my church through your giving, we obey and we do that. It's not because of any tangible result we see here. It's because of the kingdom blessings that God has promised we will receive. So let me take it once again a step further. Jesus laid down the challenge in even stronger terms in Luke 14. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Man, Jesus, do you have to be so serious? I mean, come on. This is intense. But the hate of this verse doesn't mean you can't stand your family. That's not what it means. Being faithful to Jesus Christ and following his call in your life may mean that from time to time you will do things and make decisions that seem to your loved ones as if you hate them or as if you don't care about them. 
You don't hate them at all. But your obedience to Christ may cause them to think something along those lines. That's the cost to be a disciple of Christ. And that's why it says, in comparison, you must hate everything else. If you want to be my disciple, that has to be your driving focus, your primary concern. Everything else pales in comparison to following Jesus and living out kingdom values. The world will never understand why we live the way we live, act the way we act, and do the things that we do. Now, am I suggesting that living for kingdom values means you have to leave everything and go to the mission field? No, but that's a particularly good example of what this could look like. It shows us what seeking first the kingdom of God is all about. If you ever decide to make the kingdom of God the first priority in your life, and you may not become a missionary, but you will become fundamentally different from the world around you. When you make the kingdom of God the first priority in your life, you become fundamentally different from the world around you. There is a divide that takes place in that moment. And the choices you make in your own life will be continually misunderstood because you will be living for values that the people of the world don't comprehend and really can't comprehend because their mindset is different. They think a different way. You know, we were talking about this at our neighborhood group this past week, but really the, the root to living holy lives is found in Romans 12, where, where Paul said to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How does that happen? By our minds being renewed. We are transformed when our minds are renewed. In other words, we start to think differently. We prioritize differently. We value differently. And that leads to a transformation in how we live in this world. And then we can follow God's will. But it begins with that prioritization of the kingdom of God and praying this prayer, may your kingdom come soon. And then we begin to see this play out in our lives. And the choices you make in your own life will be continually misunderstood because you will be living for values that the people of the world don't and can't comprehend. Maybe that seems too intimidating. I hope it doesn't because this kind of life is my prayer for every single one of you. This is what I pray for you as a church. I want this life for you so badly because this is the life that Jesus promised in John 10, 10. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, a life to the full, a life more abundant. That only happens when we prioritize God's kingdom above everything else. And even though you decide to make the kingdom of God your first priority, your life may still seem pretty commonplace, pretty mundane. That's all right. You don't have to go to Nepal or Swaziland or Bulgaria to live for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a matter of geography. It's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of where you go. It's a matter of the heart and how you live. 
You become a kingdom man or you become a kingdom woman when you decide to live by the values that matter to God. Righteousness, holiness, humility, compassion, sacrifice, generosity, joy, forgiveness. Think about it this way. Every time you pray, you have to say one of two things. Either you pray, my kingdom come, or you pray, your kingdom come. There is no middle ground. Those are the only two possibilities. But understand this. You can't pray your kingdom come without also praying my kingdom go. You can't pray your kingdom come without praying my kingdom go. God's kingdom cannot come unless your kingdom is going to go. They both can't coexist at the same time in the same place and in the same person. The bottom line is this. Those who pray your kingdom come, they will never regret it. They will never be sorry. We have the words of Jesus on that. Whatever they lose will be more than repaid in this life and in the life to come. But you'll never know until you pray this prayer. So let me wrap this up by giving us four ways to pray. May your kingdom come soon. Uh, first, may the kingdom come in your own life. It all begins here. You enter the kingdom by asking the Lord Jesus Christ to become king in your life. Are you in the kingdom of God? The answer is always yes or no. There is no middle. You enter the kingdom through simple faith in Jesus. No one else can enter for you. It requires a decision on your part. Without that definite decision, you will not even see. You can't understand the kingdom of God. What God does when he gives us a new heart is that he sets up a throne right in our very hearts. God rules in us by the Holy Spirit. That is what the hymn says. Uh, you know, take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Is our heart the very throne room of God? Does he reign in our hearts? The only way to reign with Christ is if Christ reigns in us first. The only way to the kingdom of glory that will be revealed at the last day is by means of the kingdom of grace and understanding that God wants to forgive us. So we begin there. Are you in the kingdom of God? If the answer is yes, then you need to pray a prayer like this every day. Not these words, but a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come in my life today. May your values guide my thinking and my decision-making. May your cause in this world be advanced by the things I say and do Help me to do your will all through this day. Now, when we really understand what we're praying, that is a revolutionary way to pray because it changes everything. If you mean those words, God will take you up on your offer to become a kingdom person. Don't pray like this if you intend to stay the way you are because it will transform you. Secondly, may the kingdom come in your family. And that means praying for your wife, your husband, your children, that they too would become kingdom people. This includes praying for your extended family and even for the spouses that your children or your grandchildren will one day marry. Cover your family daily in prayer for God's kingdom to be seen in every one of their lives. Thirdly, may the kingdom come in our church. The church should be a model of the kingdom life that God is building. You need to be praying for your pastor. Yes, I just told you to pray for me, and I'll do it again. Pray for me. I need it. I covet your prayers. Pray for the staff. Pray for our leadership team, that all of us will be completely committed to kingdom values. 
And then pray for your church family, that men and women would set aside their own agendas and live and give for his glory alone. Pray that Trilogy will become an attractive community of kingdom people, that people would be drawn to it. We would be a lighthouse in an increasingly darkening world. That that is what Trilogy would become. And finally, may the kingdom come in the world. It's true that the kingdom will never come until the king comes when he returns to the earth. But in some ways, the kingdom of God comes in a spiritual sense every time men and women surrender their lives to Jesus because the kingdom is born in us. So we're praying, may your kingdom come in hearts and lives today and may the king himself quickly return. That's what we're praying. And so we need to pray that for the world around us. Jesus, come back quickly we want your soon return because we want to be with you. But also, until that time, and there's that tension of we want Jesus to come back quickly, but we also want there to be more time for, so more people can come to faith in him so that we can reach others. And we need to uh, pray that the kingdom would come in, in our community that we live in, in our state, in our nation, and finally throughout the world, that God's kingdom would come. And our final thought for us before we get ready for worship this morning is this. May your kingdom come soon is not a passive prayer. It's not a set it and forget it prayer. It's not a just lob it out there and say, okay, I did my duty. It's not a placebo for someone who wants to stand by and just watch the action from the grandstands. This is a prayer for someone who wants to get in the game. This is a prayer for someone who is a difference-making follower of Jesus. That's why the verb is an imperative. Come, kingdom of God. Do you really want the kingdom of God to come? Do you want it to come in your own life? Are you ready for the difference that that's going to make in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of our church, in the life of our community and the world around us? If you are ready and if you want the kingdom of God to genuinely come soon. If you do, I want you to think about the words of this ancient prayer. Oh Lord, change the world. Begin, I pray thee, with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this model prayer that you've given us called the Lord's Prayer. And that we, God, have uh, this as a a pattern, a model for us to follow. And as we look at this line, this petition, may your kingdom come soon. God, I pray that you would teach us the weight of these words. That God is not something casual that we just pray, but God is something that we pray and we live and we work for and we surrender ourselves to. God, let us surrender ourselves to kingdom values. Let us surrender ourselves to living for you. And God, as we do that, would your kingdom be birthed in us? God, let the world around us see something different when they look at your church. When they look at your followers, let them see the kingdom being lived out. Just like people looked at Jesus and they saw something different in him, let them also recognize something different in us as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, as our minds are, are, are now set on the things of, of God and, and the kingdom of heaven. 
God, as our minds are set there, let that come out in a transformed life and how we live and move and be every single day. And Lord, I pray that not only would your kingdom be born in us, but God, that your kingdom would come soon, that your return would be soon, that we would get to be with you, we would rise to meet you in the air, and we would spend eternity around the throne of God in heaven. Jesus, we cannot wait for that day. But until that day comes, let us do everything we can to see as many people as we can come to faith in you. We love you, God. May your kingdom come soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.